You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Well, hello. How you doing, man? I like how we were both trying to figure out who was going to speak first that time. Yeah. The yeah. opening banter is always... I like that it's open-ended. Yeah. There is nothing. That. We just put on the headphones, sit in front of the mics, and... We see what happens. We see what happens. Sometimes I even prepare some opening bant, um, or stories. Yeah. Like this morning. <laughs> so you didn't know I was going to do this. That's what makes it fun no, and open-ended. I didn't. I, I've noticed something recently. Okay. And I know we've, we've talked about this. I don't know if we've talked about it on the air. That's just fun to say. It on the podcast about how I've noticed your inclination to see the best and assume the best of others. I don't know if that comes naturally. I don't know if you've had to cultivate that. It certainly does not come naturally to me. Um, it's been a glaring weakness I've tried to work on. Point being, there's an exception to this Oh, for me in my life that I've noticed in a, in a really very apparent way, which is in podcast listening. When I, this is so weird, but when I... <laughs> When I listen to podcasts, I do kind of form a very general, vague idea of what the people look like that these voices belong to. Yeah. I, I, I kind of have at least, it is it is vague, like I said, right? Yeah. It's not a fully formed picture, but I get a sense of what I think they might look like, just purely based on their voice. Yeah. And I always picture them as attractive people. <laughs> They're always good-looking people. They're very good-looking people that do podcasts that I listen to. And I it's, I don't even know that that's exclusively true. Sometimes I'll look it up and I'm like, no, they're just normal people. They're just totally normal human people. They're not like models who then also oh, podcast. Man. But I do still end up with this this inclination. Just assume they're very good-looking people. Even sometimes after I've seen them. And they're just, you at, still... just normal. I then go back to the picture in my head. I'm like, oh, come on, no. <laughs> Listen to the voice. I know what they really look like. It's not the it's, picture it's is not the fake. photographic evidence. Yes, it's very just... strange. I and mean, people know exactly what you look like because you're in front of people. You know, you know, you take care of your hair. You have you have the trendy specs. You dress you dress nicely this morning. I can only hope that the many people who don't know what I look like are are assuming the best. Just please, just please assume the best. Be charitable. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful in advance. Thank you. <laughs> Ethan, you are just imagining what people will look like in their glorified bodies. That is maximum charity. Like, no, no one looked uh, normal. Everyone will look wonderful. Yeah, they're wow. excellent. Wow. How about that? They've got such great hair. Everyone that I, <laughs> everyone that I picture has such great hair. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. You know what is weird? I'd never thought about that. But I actually, I think, generally do the same thing. Yeah. Like, I just, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm sure they're beautiful people, you know, just generally... <laughs> And not that I even, I don't know. That's just so weird. I've never thought about that. But I do. Wow. Yeah. You've shed new light and revelation upon my thinking. That's more than I expected. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, only hope that, uh, you know, and maybe the occasional listener who's never seen either of us would be charitable like that. I don't know. I hope so. Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess we'll we'll Well, see. If if you are, then know that we're thinking about you. And And we we think think, you're beautiful. We think you're great. Very handsome, very pretty. That's what we think. Thank you, listener. See, this will sound derogatory as I say it. I don't mean it that way, but it sounds like like we're talking like to a, like a cute dog, like a very like very pretty, or very I, handsome. I like, also speak to animals like, in the exact same way. When I look way. at every day, every morning, I look at Mowgli, give him a hug. I'm like, "You're my favorite handsome boy." Yes, and I give him a little yes. face scrunch, and he's just like, oh, you know, a little smile thing. But oh. anyway, well, segue. <laughs> So we have just recently come out of the month of October, which means we've recently celebrated Halloween. Yeah, 
Hey. Sorry, mom. I love it. <laughs> this is Halloween. This is Halloween. That's immediately, yes. automatically go to that song. But uh, yeah, so Halloween is on October 31st, which actually we've covered the ironically religious significance yeah. of that day on a podcast. But did you know that October 31st is also Reformation Day? It's funny that I, I didn't know that. <laughs> Can you imagine? I didn't know that. This is like no one else, like just the weird, like, you know, people are like, oh yeah, Reformation Day, of course, I'm going to dress up like John Calvin today, you it's know? like on every seminary calendar. That's it, yeah. <laughs> like no they're one not, else's. Not Halloween, like we have a Halloween party, but we're just, we are going as the reformers. Like we're dressing up in like black robes and like with hats and you wearing big, hats. Yeah, yes. big beards, you know, we're doing oh. all that fun stuff. And, you know, instead of um, passing out candy, we're passing out little, you know, <laughs> little tracks in the 95 theses to each other. I don't yes, know what yes. we're actually doing, but anyway. Anyway, October 31st is also Reformation Day. So why Reformation Day? What's going on there? Why Why is that a thing? That That's is what actually... I'm asking in my head. Yeah. Well, I'm here to tell you why. Okay. Because <laughs> over the next however many episodes, not necessarily in sequential order, just clarify that right away. But uh, we're going to cover some of the key doctrines, in fact, the five key doctrines of the Protestant Reformation, which coincides, of course, with Reformation Day. Yeah, I made that connection. Yeah, that is, that is a connection one would make, probably. <laughs> But uh, it's not been proved beyond a shadow of a doubt, but historically, October 31st has been celebrated as the day that Martin Luther first nailed his 95 theses to the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany, in the year 1517. So that, of course, has led many to view October 31st as the launch day of the Protestant Reformation, thus it is called Reformation. It's, it's like ground day. It's ground zero of this entire yes. changing of the way, wow, you know, I could have planned how to say that That's, more no, eloquently, That's, but you know. Ground zero. <laughs> yes, it is ground zero for this momentous event. And given that spirit, I did think it would be helpful and fun, at least for me. <laughs> but uh, to go over uh, what are called actually the five solas. Solas. Of the Reformation. Sola is the Latin word for alone. Uh, oh, um, yes, th the five alones. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like a band, like, but it's five <laughs> oh people no. who like aren't together ever. They just, it's like the front man is Han Solo, right? And then you have <laughs> Han Alono and, and um, Han Singular. <laughs> I don't think I can come up with more. Do you have more? <laughs> <laughs> but that's their shtick. That's their that's thing. It. Wow, that is brilliant. Ooh. Yeah, well, obviously, they're not, uh, yeah, alone. The five alones wouldn't have quite the same <laughs> ring as the five solas. That's horrible. But this is where we get statements like, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Those are two alones. Alone. Those are three alones. <laughs> three alones, yes. Three of the five right there. Wait, those are three of the five? They are, yeah. We've spoiled the series. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. Goodbye. So long. <laughs> Farewell. Yeah. So all that is to say, these are the articles of doctrine that primarily distinguish Protestants from Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox. Okay. So we did just come out of a series on the Apostles' Creed, mm -hmm. and we would share the Apostles' Creed in common with, say, you know, the Roman Catholics. But this is where we get into some of the distinguishing marks, where we get into some of the differences. Yeah. Because obviously, 
we do have some different beliefs and practices than our Roman Catholic cousins and counterparts, right? I, I can think of a couple. Yeah, at least a few. At least three. <laughs> at least three. So I thought it would be good and helpful for us to, you know, know our own history, so to speak, right? I assume most most of our listeners are Protestants. I have a few friends who are Catholic. I have a few friends who were raised Catholic and now are Protestants. Yeah. I mean, we got, we got the whole gamut. But I thought it would be helpful for all of us to kind of dig into our own history and get to know these five Protestant distinctives, so to speak. But I do think we need to set the stage before we get into the solas and understand why we have these, why we have a Protestant church, as opposed to just all being part of, you know, the uh, the one holy Roman Catholic church, because, you know, that's, that's probably pretty important stuff to know. And uh, why was it that Luther put up those 95 theses? And why did the Reformation happen in the first place, you know? Because this Ground Zero event wasn't as, like, wildly inflammatory as it kind of sounds to us in the modern day, was it? No. No, it was not. Because um, I do like to picture him walking in, like, with a duster, like a cowboy, <laughs> like a gunslinger. And he just walks up and, like, hammers the nail in. Boom, I do think boom. that in my head. And he's like, he knows, like, this is going to change everything. In fact, the world is slightly in slow motion as he hammers yeah, the Yeah, and, like, everyone is like... <laughs> and like there's some sort of like the po- like the pope is somewhere suddenly there for some reason and oh. he's like oh you know i don't know why i don't know why they- but that no you're right that is not what happened at all yeah in any way shape form or fashion a little throw out there a little 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 shout out but um this is obviously a fairly long story that we cannot get into the entire history of in a podcast episode but i will give you the nitty-gritty of the story here. The basic version is that Luther was never setting out to create his uh, quote-unquote own church when he nailed up the 95 Theses. He was not setting out to start some sort of a revolution in any way. In fact, nailing up the 95 Theses was not at all the bombastic act that we might think it was. Bombastic is such a good word. I like the word it's bombastic. It's much better than inflammatory. Like That's nice, good. You know, just a nice word. Yes. But um, to do something like that, to have points of dispute and to nail them up somewhere where the public could read them, that was actually a fairly normal thing for people to do back in Luther's day. They'd write out their questions or they'd write out points of dispute, and then they would invite, basically, debate and discussion around those questions or points. And they would say, if you can't be here publicly to debate them even, feel free to write me a letter and bring up your points of dispute. So, uh, to compare it to someone posting a status update on Facebook isn't quite accurate. (laughs) It wasn't quite that, uh, you know, not that normal or that, um, how do I say nonchalant? Yeah. But it was it was not out of the ordinary. So there was nothing abnormal about it. Yeah, he just, you know, nailed up his 95 theses on the church door. and Totally casual. I'm sure the, the door makers just love that church, too. Oh, yeah. They're yeah, like, they just, here we go, another customer. Yeah, I got uh, the, the business is a booming and job security is <laughs> great. But another funny thing is that originally Luther actually wrote the 95 theses in Latin. So the common folk couldn't even read the 95 that, theses, as it turned out. That, you know? I mean, that feels like a statement in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Was that uniquely... Like, meaningful for him to do that? Well, so at that time, he was in Germany, of course, but Latin was the language of the church right. and it was the language of academics. So really, again, he's inviting an academic dispute. Yeah, He's not, it wasn't like he was trying to be like, I'm so much better than the proletariat here. I'm going to write these in Latin. Right. It, that reinforces the point that he wasn't trying to get, you know, like this mass revolution going. He was oh. asking, you know, like, hey, like, let the priests and, you know, most reverend fathers and bishops, like, let's debate this okay. academically. I don't know that... Again, this is a very 
poor equivalent, but if you read a highly technical, you know, philosophical or scientific paper, like written using terms and words that like I'm not going to understand. Right. And you posted that somewhere for the scientific community to debate it. That's the kind of thing that like, oh, none of us are going to read that paper. <laughs> none of us are even going to like, what are you even talking about? Man? Right. That's kind of more or less uh, what was happening here. So the primary issue that he was particularly trying to draw attention to with the 95 Theses actually really wasn't anything that later came to be affiliated with the Reformation, believe it or not. Yeah, there is nothing in the 95 Theses. If you go read them now, you can look them up and read them. They're not long. I mean, they're just basically, you know, points of dispute again. But nothing shows up in there that was later a major, major point of contention in the Reformation. Like, there's nothing about justification by faith alone. There's nothing about the authority of the church versus the authority of the scriptures. Like, what he was trying to draw attention to was the abuse of indulgences. Okay. That's primarily what he was getting at. <laughs> okay. So he was simply trying to correct abuses within the Roman church. He wasn't trying to say, we need to start a new church or burn this thing down to the ground and start over. He was just saying, basically, I like being in the church. And I think, in fact, he didn't even want to get rid of indulgences. <laughs> Well, Let me just, yeah, like, draw this out for the, he didn't want to get rid of them. I mean, you do need that that good money to replace your front doors with. Yeah, that's, yeah, like, you need that, right? He really, he was just trying to correct what he saw as abuses wow. to the system that was present in medieval Catholicism. That seems very non-inflammatory. Right, it does. So let's kind of look at this and see why it became the issue it became. Okay. So his problem was that indulgences had become a way for people to get around true repentance, basically. Now, I'm oversimplifying a lot here. So if there are any, you know, church historians listening, you, you'll you see that I've overlooked some details. But the essence of what I'm saying, I think, is accurate. So the idea of an indulgence was simple. And again, I want to paint this as fairly as possible. If you had not done penance for a sin, as in you failed to confess certain sins, like you had not gone to your confessor, there were certain sins in your life that you had not confessed and therefore you could not do penance for them, right? Okay. Like you had to be able to, you had to confess a sin in order to be able to do penance for it. So the idea was you might have sins in your life that you didn't confess and therefore you weren't able to do penance for them. And if that was the case, you would not have enough quote unquote merit to immediately enter heaven upon death. Therefore, you would have to be purged of your sins in purgatory. Like those things would have to be dealt with one way or another. And the answer to that was purgatory. However, there were saints who had actually secured enough merit on their own to enter heaven. And not only that, they had merit to spare. Oh, thank goodness, right? Yeah, like, I don't know how the church determined how they had merit to spare, but they did, you know, like, they knew this. Their merit piggy bank overflowing. Yeah, that's that's exactly exactly right, because (laughs) this spare merit was, in their uh, theology, kept in the treasury of the church, (laughs) and the pope had the keys to go into this storehouse and fetch this merit for you uh, for a small price, of course. Oh, yeah. The op- well, this, well, this is the opposite of my of my sin abacus from a few <laughs> yeah, episodes ago. A- this, is, this is like a like a theological magic rubber racer. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> like, throw me some money and I can make it go away. <laughs> this is, oh, it's like, it's... <laughs> I'm sorry. This is OxyClean. <laughs> Oh, man. Theological OxyClean for you. Wow. In fact, here's the really wild thing. You could get what was called a plenary indulgence 
and be guaranteed freedom from purgatory altogether. So it's like a master indulgence that just frees you from any and everything? Basically, yeah. Then how would they make money off of other indulgences? I mean, that's you really gotta, like... It's gotta be like a year's salary. Know what you're doing to get a plenary indulgence, man. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, Luther's problem was that the abuse of indulgences was leading people away from true repentance. Yeah. Because you had guys like Johann Tetzel, who was, like, he he was, like, the chief scoundrel of indulgence peddling. (laughs) No. And uh, he was known to say that if you purchased an indulgence, you didn't even need to confess your sin. Like, just buying the uh, indulgence was, oh, yeah. you're good, right. you're good. <laughs> um, you know, you throw the penny in the coffer, and that'll do just fine. In fact, he even had a limerick. He had a limerick. <laughs> he traveled around with a band. Yeah, oh He had my a word. traveling band of bards That's who would go around with him and, like, sing, and he had these very elaborate, like, demonstrations. I, I'm not sure if this is apocryphal or not, but, like, he would, like, start fires and, like, put his hand in them, and, like, you know, he would, like, burn, and he'd be like, oh, this will be, like, what will happen to you if you, you know... You have to whoa. suffer on the fires of purgatory. He, he was very elaborate he and intense. The, the original snake oil salesman. Yes. But like to the nth degree. Oh, yes. And uh, he had a limerick that said, when the penny in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Oh, my a word. Lim- yeah. Oh, yeah. my word. I, you know, the, th- the funny thing is, though, I think I've always misunderstood the idea of indulgences mm-hmm. and only understood this right? representation yeah. of mm-hmm. them. Like this, the way that they were abused, not their actual strength. Strangely more mild intent, right. I guess. I just thought of them as like a ticket. Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to go to this sin, so man, better buy my way out of it ahead of time. Yeah, which, I mean, that's a basically, and that was Luther's prop. Like, it had become that, basically. Yeah. I mean, that's insanely human. Of course yeah. it's going to come like that. Yeah, like, we're going to do that because, like, now, like, we're kind of in charge of our, you know. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah, I can do the, the math. He had another limerick that I literally just now remembered, except I can't remember the first half of it. But, like, he would say something, and then the second half of us goes, into heaven, then strolls mum. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, gosh. I just I could remember the first half. Dude, he had all kinds of things. So weird. This is crazy. Of course he did. So all that is to say, it was the debates that ensued after Luther published his 95 Theses that really got the fires of the Reformation going because to really skip ahead and like really fast forward, do the montage thing, you know, the montage <laughs> treatment. In those debates, what became clear when you got down to the bottom was that the issue was not indulgences as such. Rather, the issue was who has the final say in the doctrine and practice of the church? Is it the Pope or is it the scriptures? Because the concept of indulgences was neither taught nor implied in the scriptures. That was the problem that (laughs) kept coming up in the debates. So like Luther keeps digging deeper and he's like, wait a minute, like, hold on. Like this whole system is, wait, there's something fishy here. And then it was really a brilliant move of debate. I cannot remember this guy's name. I'm blanking on all these things. But there was this scholar who was debating him and he basically cornered Luther with this question. He was coming back to it. He realized he could get Luther on this because at the time, if you were to basically go against the Pope, it was heresy. Yeah. And you were like, well, now you're going to, we can kill you, you know? Like, <laughs> so he realized he could pin Luther on this question. And the issue came up was just, okay, like, so what are you saying? That like, are you saying that the scriptures have authority over the Pope? Like, or are you going to affirm that the Pope is actually the highest authority in the land? He speaks as the vicar of Christ oh, and what he says goes. Right. And then that's where eventually you get the idea that Luther would say, like, I'm not going to recant. Like, I, I'm standing Ooh, here yeah. on what I've said and what the scriptures teach. I can't do anything else. And of course, the problem with that is, you know, if what Luther eventually went on to say was true, that the scriptures are the ultimate authority for the life and faith and practice of the church. If that's the case, and it's not the Pope, 
the whole structure of medieval Roman Catholicism and church practice comes basically tumbling down. Like the whole the whole house of straw collapses. Yeah, it's that is a whole Pandora's box of unraveling. Yeah, so it got really, really intense around that. And um, so I'll say this because we're you know now out of time, and we will uh, we will actually be digging into the significance of each of the solas and why they matter. But I think even to this day, we look back now. This is over five hundred years ago now, over five hundred three years ago <laughs> to be precise. And I think it's easy for us to look back on that and think, what's the big deal? Like, why can't we just, you know, why can't they just get along and, you know, <laughs> we can just figure this out. Like, why we, Why do we even still have these distinctives? And you have to think, back at that time, medieval Catholicism ran the world, yeah. basically. I don't want to, like, demonize all, like, all Roman Catholics or, like, or to say, like, the gospel wasn't, like, there were people who were preserving the true gospel and saying, like, oh, the things that are happening here are not good mm. before Luther came along, but he was the one who really forced the issue. Yeah. And there were, I mean, we got, like, scholasticism out of this time period. I mean, it wasn't, like, all bad, but there was this issue of what is the true gospel? Like, that was the issue that was at stake here. And that threatened to undo some very corrupt, oh, very messed up very much. stuff. There were some people who, like, I mean, the papacy at that point had become a thing where, what was the pope? Was he the head of the church or was he the head of, like, the empire, basically? Like, yeah. it was weird. And you got some people who bought their way into the papacy who they were evil. Oh, yeah. They were evil men. Hello, who Rodrigo did, Borgia. Yeah, they did atrocious, evil things. Yeah. And so you think, like, that whole system, there were people who were vested in that not. Whether the gospel is true or not, they didn't care about that. That yeah. wasn't the issue. It's like, either the gospel is true or it isn't. They were like, no, 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 that's, was, that's not what's at stake. It was its own, like, house of theology logical royalty. Yes, you would, yes. You would buy your way into protection and power. Yeah. And so there was just so much more happening there. And I think this wasn't just a couple of theologians getting into it in a lecture hall being like, oh, you are yelling at each other uh, and, you know, being like, well, I, we just can't agree on this. I picture you know? like research papers flying into like, <laughs> like their <laughs> spectacles, which definitely existed in this time. Yeah, yeah, like, you know? <laughs> this boy, like you were messing with the fabric of society. Yeah. So it was, it was craziness. It was craziness. And those distinctives still mattered today um and uh yeah so that's what we're going to be talking about in the next uh next little bit of this series sounds so, good I, it's a fun. shame that we spoiled the first three but yeah yeah you know hey. you know you know that is listen you don't know what they're about right <laughs> i'm just kidding you're a christian hopefully you do <laughs> yeah. or you're, if you're not you're gonna learn that's it right well i'm sure it's gonna be i mean it's an episode yeah so there's gonna be more than what you said yeah exactly exactly i'm ready so, to find out we're ready we're ready to dig into it so there you have it that's your your uh whirlwind introduction to reformation day and what sparked it all so Thank you, as always, for listening. If you do have any questions on that topic or anything else, you can email us, podcast at horizonschurch.net. You can interact with us on social media. And if you found this helpful and you want to leave us an honest five-star review, we'd, we'd really be grateful for that. Yeah, it'd be nice. You can, uh, and if you have issues with what we say, you can, you know, send us your own version of the... Yeah. Send maybe us a- like the five theses, not the 95. Yeah. You know, Ooh, yeah. That's yeah. all I have to say okay. about that. Right. <laughs> right. You know, let's be reasonable. Let's be reasonable, please. <laughs> we all have jobs and things to do. So thank you as always for listening and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.